This is our Suburb Trends Report for January 2024, and we'll be looking at what property investors need to know when they're looking at investing across the country. In this episode, we'll be reviewing the performance of each capital city over 2023. We'll also look state by state at the top three changes and what markets delivered the biggest surprises over the year. And most importantly, can we take any hints from this analysis and apply it as we move into 2024? Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent and buyer's agent mentor, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, author of Auction Ready and co-host of Your First Home Buyer Guide. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker, recently ranked number five in Australia out of over 18,000 brokers in the annual MPA Top 100 Mortgage Broker Awards. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of an appropriate and experienced professional. This month, we've asked Ken to review the performance of 2023 across the country and highlight what he believes will be the biggest topics for 2024. So let's start by looking at each capital from an inventory and listings perspective from January last year compared to December and see what has changed. What have you got for us, Ken? Yes, the listings is um, a really interesting one with listings uh, as probably a starting point here. Um, I'll start with some of the biggest increases and de- decreases. Decreases, the top 10 decreases, Perth dominates for the decreases compared to a year ago Ooh. with listings. So uh, if demand keeps up to where it is, that'll push inventory down. A lot of these markets have already got low inventory, so it does appear that uh, they're, they're falling down uh, in terms of inventory level. So that'll keep the pressure up on Perth. So specifically, Belmont Victoria Park is an SA3. That's in Perth Southeast. Um, Winter Manly up in Brisbane is number two. Mandurah in, uh, over in WA is in there as well. So you can kind of see the theme here. It's all centred around WA. Uh, next is uh, Wanneroo, Perth Northwest, uh, Stirling, Swan, Bayswater, Bassendine, all Perth North East. Uh, it's, it's just so this, fascinating. So this is Perth SA3s dominating the list or being at the top of the list of low new listings activities. Are we listing talking about? Listing change. If we look at the listings comparison to where they were a year ago to where they are now, we are looking at any uh, the. The, this list we've got at Belmont Victoria Park, the first one, so, uh, they're 37% below where they were this time last year, going all the way down to 10th place is minus 32%. So these are markets that have fallen. The house listings have fallen by 30% or more in the last 12 months, bucking a fairly significant trend because there are a number of markets around the country where we've seen some uh, increases. But uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to WA, it's gone the other way. Even though prices have been going up, I, I imagine in these areas, right? Usually, we see prices go up, listings increase. So, if anything, listings were maybe too many before. And hey, actually, maybe we don't want to sell our average investment properties now. Uh, there's price growth. Maybe let's keep them because there's a bit of momentum. Do you think that's playing into this? Kent, where you know people were listing last year because they weren't seeing any real returns now they're like actually let's hold on to these uh it's 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 hard to to identify the price increases as the root cause of why people might be 
and may may not be selling because mm. uh, you know what we're finding is the opposite in Perth. But prices have been going up; uh, they're um, you know, reasonably well. Uh, and uh, usually, we see when the market's hot, people decide to sell uh, if if there's a place to move to. So it's really hard to uncover that you know the motivations as to why uh, the data just suggests it's a it's it's an affordable market still, and that seems to be the most significant driver as to why people are buying. Interestingly, no, I mean, Perth is well publicised as being, have been in the doldrums for a good decade. And then, of course, in recent times has been performing very, very well in terms of price growth. And we know that it's been a bit of a darling amongst the affordable investor community that that looking for places to uh, to to park their money from the eastern states. Um, and in the face of all that and the impact that's having on prices, you would think as has has often been the given as the reason why a lot of un- investors have sold out of units in places like Brisbane, where they've had no growth over ten years. It's like they get a little bit of growth, and then like hell, I'm out of here. The same thing hasn't necessarily happened in Perth, or perhaps there's a smaller percentage of investors over there that did hold property, and there's actually an increasing cohort of investors buying property, perhaps. So, um, I guess we watch this space. Yes. What about the it- other capitals? Look, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting observation because um, yeah, we've seen in the last couple of years a number of markets that have overheated, overshot, and and then we're seeing the the, the flip side of that. Um, so a lot of people rushed out on mass uh, and demand outstripped supply and pushed up prices significantly high. And we'll, we'll talk about it because because some of these markets are showing up on our lists. Um, so they exited the cities during the you know the great. COVID exodus, flushed to these areas that were five, six, seven hours out of the capitals. Over, you know, prices overheated. We're seeing the results of that. That that's a new variable of interest when it comes to looking at these markets and some of the uh, the interesting trends. So there's a risk there that it's getting too much love. However, what counters that argument when it comes to Perth is it's still affordable. So when we're comparing it to uh, house uh, house prices compared to to medians or medians median multiples of household income, uh, it's still affordable. These other markets that come came back the other way that you could consider overheated, well and truly outstripped, uh, outpaced uh, wages for the area. So next one, let's moving on. Um, so we're moving on to listings uh, decreases for units. Uh, I'll quickly cover that. It's all Perth again. So, yeah, Bunbury, Perth, uh, there's only really uh, Sunshine Coast is in the list, Moreton Bay is in the list, Central Queensland, but it's all Perth and Bunbury. So, again, uh, but the listings changes there. Some of the, the bigger numbers, so the average across that top 10 list is minus 35. So, there's been a more significant fall over the last 12 months in units across those SA3s. Now, we move across to areas where listings have increased and suddenly we see Sydney coming to the mix. So we've seen a significant increase in percentages of of listings, but there's a big call out here. The inventory levels are still relatively low. So you've gone from a super duper tight market back to a tight market, even though inter- uh, even though listings have increased. So I don't see it. But at uh, the very end of the year... Didn't listings start tapering off again in Sydney? Um, they usually always have that seasonal 
uh, effect. So you see running into um, December and January, it doesn't really pick up till the second or third week of January usually. Um, but this data here yeah, is Yeah, we're November though. Yeah, this is averages around November. So I've just compared November of last year to November this year and looked at average listings. And uh, what this is telling us is um, some of the bigger percentages um, we've seen. Chatswood Lane Cove seen a fairly significant increase, but it was these came off such a low base for the whole SA3 yeah. back in November. Chatswood Lane Cove only had 47 listings. It's just like, it's insane. Yeah, inventory levels were down around one for all of these markets, down around one, well, this time last year. So That's one month, one month's one worth of month. inventory. So if nothing listed, yes. if, you know, back in November, if nothing else entered the market, within five weeks there'd be nothing left to sell in the whole SA3 in theory. Mm. So... So I, I wouldn't get too excited about the, this particular top 10 of increased listings because we've come off such an extraordinarily low base and we still have very, very low inventory levels. So don't get too much too, too excited about that. But you know, you've got Chatswood, Marrickville, Sydney, Petersham in the mix, Manly, Karingai, Ride. So the usual suspects, even Leichhardt's in there. But again, um, I, I'm, I'm really not going to get too excited about that. Um, and then the last one, we'll only quickly cover this one off. Uh, listings increase for units. ACT dominates this list with some significant increases. Now, what makes this a little bit different is some of these markets do have inventory levels in excess of four months. So the same cannot be said about what's happening with the increasing listings volumes in our top 10 list, which is dominated by the ACT. Can we look at our other big capitals? So you've got Melbourne, Brizzy, Adelaide. Well, they'll they'll pop up in different top 10 lists. So what I've done, so if you want to kind of look at these top 10 lists, really that they, they were dominated. Brisbane came in, um, in, in you know, had a, a bit of a decrease, but I don't have that list. I didn't do the capital. I didn't focus on the capitals because it was washing out some really interesting trends that I thought, no, no, we need to keep this at the SA3 level. So, and I do love how we ask you to do something, and then you get you yeah. look at it and go, "Hang on a minute, this is going to be a much more interesting story." M- much more. <laughs> in- well, I t- the one I really want to cover, I get. We'll go to inventory now, but uh, the one I want to talk about is rents. So it's, it's mind blowing. Yes. Right. So so we're gonna mm, we'll jump okay. jump to inventory yep. and then we circle, circle back to rates. Now we we can talk about inventory decreases in houses. There are no surprises here. Guess who dominates? It's Perth. Um, Perth. So, yeah. So it's all Perth, Perth, uh, South Perth, Belmont, Victoria Park. Um, there's only a couple of newbies in there. You've got Centenary, SA3 in Brisbane West. Um, and you've got actually Tweed Valleys in there, in the Richmond Tweed. So um, it's it's fallen from six months of inventory down to 4.69. So there might be a little bit of an indicator there that the softening of prices might be enough to entice people back in. So that may start to indicate a bit of a turning point. Inventory decreases in units. I'll cover that, then I'll breathe and let you talk. Uh, We are talking about uh, a very mixed bag here. Um, Rouse Hill, McGrath Hill is a lot of new housing stock. Um, So 
Um, the unit, unit market, there's not a massive volume of units. There's 57 listed, but inventory levels uh, uh, have fallen down. So that's a, that's a significant shift in inventory there. Um, we're moving up to Bowen Basin. Bunbury's in there. So big in, a decrease in inventory for units in Bunbury, uh, down by a couple of months. Perth City, down by a couple of months. And then Gosnells is in there, Perth Southeast. That's down by 1.7 months. Here's the one that I wanted to talk about that was interesting, and I'll pause. Fairfield in Sydney. Fairfield units in Sydney, they're relatively affordable. They're below 500K, about 450K. That's gone from 7.27 months of inventory a year ago to 5.78 now. And I think that's an interesting trend. The question is why? Who, who's buying there and why? And I'm going to put it down to the immigration policy because it's a, a, a very inviting place for people to join up with family members. Well, I mean, their median price is only about 450000 right? Yeah. So, you know, that that market, I mean, it was just a client I was chatting to yesterday, not so much Fairfield, but not far away, to be honest, it might even be in that pocket. Yeah, it just makes a lot, it's very attractive to first-time buyers, you know, like a two-bed apartment on an older block that's walkable to a train, um, and it's a way entry into the market under sort of 800, no stamp duty, um, and you know, I don't know if there's too much new development there um, compared to other parts of Sydney where there's, there's lots of new apartments. So I would put it down to that, is, you know, um, just really strong first-home buyer demand out there for for sort of these entry level units in Sydney um, that isn't that they don't want high density uh, they're coming educated and I, I think they uh, that would be my take on that a lot of walk ups around there yeah but it's also for Fairfield is a very multicultural suburb so potentially you know if, if immigrants are coming here that do have family connections um, in the area that could. I mean, we're theorit- theoreticizing here because none of us have been out there talking to the local agents, asking them what they're seeing on the ground. Um, but that is quite interesting. It is. But but I was I was born in Fairfield Hospital. So there you go, a bit you of a trivia. Were, were you? That's a trivia night question. So you have been out there. I've been out there, in fact, many, many, many years ago when I was a graphic design student, I, I helped design an exhibition out there, which is called Hidden Heritage. It was for a book about multiculturalism in that area. So there you go. I get one talking about, talking about houses. I could have mistaken that as Hidden Heritage. A lot of fibro out there. <laughs> I don't know if you call that heritage. Do you want to talk about inventory increases? Because now that this gets a bit more interesting. I mean, going back to your last point, inventory decreases yeah. where you know stock on the market is is falling i mean yes it's gone down a lot in perth but we're still looking at levels of like three four you know five months of inventory compared to sort of the sixes and sevens that they were maybe 12 months ago but you know when we looked at where inventory is really tight in, in some suburbs in sydney you know it's you know one still twos and threes right so it's Yep. You know, while yeah, you say it's affordable, but there's still a bit of stock on the market, right? Like it still needs people to be out there buying. So there's still a, um, there isn't so much of a shortage of housing in Perth to buy if you can enter the market. Yes. Yeah, I think it's a relatively uh, uh, affordable, uh, you know, cheaper. The ticket price is cheaper for ours. And that seems to be attracting the... And, and there's more choice. Yeah, yeah a lot of choice. 
Uh, and that seems to attract, you know, the the, the, the hordes, the chat group hordes, uh, it's, the pylon's still still there. It is interesting, though, just to have that nuance and the nuance look into data, you know. So we're talking about movements, um, and so movements are interesting. But, you know, as Chris has pointed out, hang on a minute, don't forget, you know, <laughs> there are other areas that are, haven't moved, they're still low. Um, and so, you know, obviously in these conversations, there's lots and lots of conversations that happen about property everywhere you go. And it is always good to just to have that, that critical thinking and the ability to spin the dice a little, spin the wheel a little bit and have a look at it from a different angle. Um, what are the changes? So let's talk about where inventory is rising. Once again, we're looking at the needle moving because the last time we spoke about this, uh, it seemed to be that really where this was most prevalent or most noticeable was in those uh, sea and tree change areas that were just outside that relatively easy commute to a CBD and this sort of U-turn was happening um, as a result of, I guess, um, the returning pilgrims <laughs> from fleeing lockdowns and all the rest of it. So, and we've we've heard and spoken to various people that have, you know, concurred with this happening. Is that still happening in certain areas? Is it Ma, is it more pronounced in some areas than others? It's exactly what this list suggests. So we've got a top 10 list here that where inventory has increased in comparison to where it was uh, this time last year, increased by uh, 3.2 months up to five months. All of these locations now are well and truly in a position where I'd call them uh, buyer's markets. A high level of in- inventory, certainly well above seven months of inventory. Uh, topping the list, southeast coast down in uh, in Taz and west coast in Taz. So, bit of a theme that we'll see pop out in some of these lists is Taz is having a bit of a hard trot. Um, then we move to Wellington, yeah. which is in the Latrobe, Gippsland. Now, there's something going on there. There must be. A, a, I didn't. I didn't get time to look at the jobs market, but there might be something going on with the uh, em- employment uh, situation in the La- Latrobe, yeah. Gippsland. So it's worth a look. Um, and then I'll, I'll round it out. There's uh, Creswick, Dalesford, Ballon in Ballarat. So Ballarat's popped up a few times in Gippsland, Southwest. Wow. So again, still in that Latrobe, Gippsland. So these are areas that have had the largest increase in house inventory levels. Pretty scary, uh, scary the like Ballarat there, right? So it's gone from five months of inventory, which is on the high side 12 months ago. And, you know, that's, you know, medium price was sort of seven six five. Now, if you try to sell a house in Ballarat, um, you're looking at what is it? Nine months of inventory. Like inventory, you know, is the desperation of buyers, right? So if there's lots of choice, things aren't moving, listings aren't evaporating. As a buyer, you can be patient, pick the eyes out of the market, wait for a quality asset, and then, and particularly prices are falling as well. But you know, when inventory is really tight. You're waiting months and months. You're getting more and more frustrated with your, per- your your search. You know, finally something comes on, but it sells in seven days and you miss it. And then you're back to the drawing board. Like you're, you're anxious, right? You want to transact. And that, that usually leads to price growth. So, you know, this is, I think, really quite worrying for people if you, you know, or if an investor wanted to get bail in Tassie, well, good luck trying to sell it if it's not quality asset when there's 10, 11 months of inventory, right? Like, You've missed the boat. You've entered the party, but you haven't left the party um, at a good time. You've left it too late. 
Well, it's 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 FOMO on the side of the seller now because the fear of not getting the sale, and what happens is Fongo, you, it's called. Yeah, fear yes. of not getting out. Yeah, so we we <laughs> we've got uh, me, yeah price meetings are only going to be measured on those that sell. So the ones that sell are those currently yeah. in a high envir- a high inventory environment, who are desperate who get desperate to sell or are most eager to take a price adjustment. So they list typically at a higher price because their expectations are still pegged to what it was a year ago or two years ago. Just, you know, I only memorized the peak, right? Um, and then I list it, it's inflated, doesn't sell inventory levels build. So what we end up with is the tail end, the people who are willing to meet the market are the ones being captured in the medians. So, so that's that we can see that playing out in these markets. It's sort of interesting that, isn't it? Because really, if if it was like a Dutch auction, like at the fish markets, you know, where there's there's a pallet load of fish and the clock starts high and it just keeps going down, down, down until you find somebody's prepared to pay at cheap enough price, then you then you discover real market value or real or real you know price movement. But instead, it's the willing mar- the willing vendor and the willing buyer. Um, now, does Southeast Tasmania does that include Hobart? Hobart's a, a, a really interesting. So if you look at Central well, in a Hobart, I think the, the from memory the SA three is called. It's held up m- much better than its surrounds. Mm-hmm. But you only need to be five minutes or ten minutes out out, and the market conditions mm. change dramatically. So there is no there is no way you can isolate just the the inner ring and say it's, it's it is going to be isolated. Uh, there is a cross contamination that happens between these markets because they're so close. Mm. But it's also a very small city, yeah. you know, so it's, you've got to remember that, that it's, is it our 12th largest city? Um, I think so we've got, oh God, now I'm pulling it out of my head, Newcastle, Toowoomba, Geelong, all bigger than Hobart. Anyway, yeah. let's let's move on. <laughs> what else well, have you uh, uncovered? <laughs> yeah, and then we'll, we'll quickly cover off the um, the inventory increase in for units. Um, Geelong is in there or the Surf Coast Ballerine Peninsula. So that's jumped up. Um, so very significant uh, inventory level there. So Surf Coast Bellarine Peninsula is featured on the wrong lists for several months now. Um, so certainly it's appearing in there. Units, in, in, in units, though. In unit. Oh, no, it had been appearing on the, the housing market. So it, it was one of those, you know, the story we, we said earlier about, you know, the, the, the mass exodus and these lovely places to move to. And I think, too many people move mm. too quickly with too much money, um, but the standout for me here well, is. Well, I was talking. I've been t- talking. I was talking to a buyer's agent from Geelong recently, and uh, and their inventory. Le- the cry was there is just no stock, right? So that must be Geelong, Geelong proper. Yeah, yeah Geelong mm. proper. Um, uh, and then we move because yeah. yeah, the the SA four is Geelong, and it's a pretty big. You know, when you move to these some of these regional. Locations, the SA falls can be quite, quite large, but Palmerston and Darwin City are in there. So that was probably my my call out. Is um, yeah, Darwin's uh, very interesting because the rental market was so tough for so long. So it's really, really fascinating to see that they're popped in there. But let's move to the one that's really interesting: the rents. So I'll start with the good story. Good story for a renter. Um, not good for a landlord. There's not a lot in these lists, though. This is the rental decrease for houses. Uh, the uh, rental decreases here are between minus 1% and minus 7%, so they're not significant by any means. Central Highlands, Tasmania, 
is in there. Um, but what we'll see here is probably a, a little bit of an indicator supporting our story of the mass exodus and boomerang. Southern Highlands, Orange, Queen Bien, Richmond Valley are in that list. So uh, that's a that's a really interesting one. And the other, probably the dominant capital in here is the ACT. So uh, four of the top 10 are in the ACT. So without a doubt, it does appear that the supply of rentals has been, or the supply of property in the ACT has been pretty good and or a lot of bureaucrats uh, have decided to retire and move down the south coast or to Sydney, whatever, wherever they go. All right, so if you need to rent, if you if you want to do your, your tree change, um, and as we always recommend, you rent before you buy, try before you buy, now's the time to do it if you're going to go Southern Highlands, Richmond Valley, Tweed Valley, um, Orange, yeah. or the ACT is not quite a tree change, um, you reckon. So there's a, there's more rentals available. There is, there is. So uh, rent or rental <laughs> decrease. Um, so we've got, well, we'll get to vacancy rates in a minute, but yes, we're talking about rental price decreases. Yeah. Now, this is really interesting in its own right. I looked at all of the SA3s over 360-odd and uh, uh-huh. and then you split it up and I'll, and then you uh, look at, come up with a list of how many unit markets have decreased in price. I could only find five. Only five uh-huh. nationally have decreased in price. That's very telling. Uh, two of them are in the ACT. And what are they? Tuggeranong, uh, Malonglo, mm-hmm. Richmond Valley Coastal, bit of a theme going on there. Southern Highlands, bit of a theme there. And again, Surf Coast Bellarine. So there, there is a common common thread. Aren't there a lot of units really in those areas? On ACT, I know there's been an oversupply problem sometime, right? But but the other areas? Uh, look, the, the, the only two that have got high inventory in that list, or three, Surf Coast, Southern Highlands got reasonably high inventory. Malonglo has higher inventory, but the other two, which is mm. Richmond Valley Coast and Tuggeranong, they're pretty low, reasonably low levels of inventory. Yeah. So, you know, not not to get too excited about it. But I think the most interesting thing is how small the list is. Yeah. So, so what do we attribute that to? There's no. There's just not enough rentals around the place. You know, that's the so summary. People are buying. Yeah, or done. No, there's just rent. There's not a lot of affordable rentals, so that's the, what the driver is. Yeah, so whether that's people investors selling, whether there's just you know um, just low vacancy rates, and you know more and more people are still forced to rent, and there's just not enough to rent. But yeah, if you're renting in Geelong, you're okay, right? Because there's heaps of inventory to buy. Rents have gone down. Um, it sounds like you're okay, but trying to rent a unit anywhere else, it's a, well, a struggle, right? Let's jump um, over to the wow list. Here we go. This is the this is the most interesting lists. <laughs> These two lists. We've got the rent increases for houses and the rent increases for units. Top ten, the dominant players. <laughs> it's all Sydney and Perth for the rent increases. So we've seen the highest increase for houses is the eastern suburbs south has increased 27% compared to this time last year. 27% wow. hype in your in your lease median. So your lease median a year ago was about 1,100. That's bumped up to 1,400. 
Then you've got Perth, 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 Canning, Mundaring, and Gosnells, and they've all increased 23, 22, 22%. So anything above 10% is a pretty high increase, right? So we're talking mm. 20% <laughs> plus for this list. Um, th- we've got Sydney Eastern Suburbs reappears, but Eastern Suburbs North, their rents have jumped up or houses have jumped up to 1700 a week. Pretty hard to top that. So, yeah, very interesting. And then topping at 9 and 10 on that list is Sydney, Parramatta uh, area. Auburn and Parramatta are in there. So they've increased by 20. Houses or apartments? These are houses. There's not an abundance mm. of houses around there, but yeah, enough to, to give mm. us something significant. Let's really look at the wow factor here. The top one on this list, this is the, the rent increases for units. Number one has increased by 32%. Imagine imagine that if you get your rent review and suddenly it's bumped up by 32%. Guess up a third. So you were paying 380 on average uh, a year ago and now you, your rent review is going to bump up to $500 in Canterbury SA3. Right. So followed by Hurstville, Cogra, Botany and Auburn, all in Sydney. Then we have a break. We go to Melbourne well, City. Well, also the Middle Ring. They're the Middle Ring as well. And yeah. I think they're all on train um, All on train. All on train lines. All on good train lines. So yeah. you can sort of see why people would go, okay, I'm giving up trying to get somewhere closer. It's been horrific for, rent, uh, for tenants in the inner ring. So that sort of makes sense, I think. Uh, it does, absolutely. And there was evidence um, to suggest that the ripple effect was certainly applying in the rental market. And I think this is mm. further supporting that, you know, people get crowded out of the inner west, move to inner southwest, move out further again when they get crowded out. You just don't want to be on the lowest rung. There's, there's you know, nowhere you to go. You definitely do not. Now, I guess this leads into the rent versus buy, right? The first home buyer is going, whoa, remember to pay 600 bucks a week to to live in this and I could buy because I've got, you know, no stamp duty, um, I've got 60K. These units are only, you know, we're talking five, 700, but not. So, you know, if they could rustle together 50K, they could buy, right? So, um, you know, rather than paying 500 bucks a week rent or 600 bucks a week rent, um, yeah, should I should I look to buy? So I think this is a for, for price go. When you look at inventory, it's only four months of inventory of these type of apartments in in the southwest where there's a bit low density. It's not so much. So you could see, you know, a rental is getting more expensive. Then they go, actually, should I should I buy? But also, like if you look at houses in Sydney, like rents going up to fourteen hundred dollars a week for a median house. So that means that like that's not including when you add in all the expensive houses. So um. Yeah, half of them are more than that. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. and then seventeen hundred in the east. Oh, that's it. That's in um, east and southern south. That's more down towards Maroubra. If you go a bit more north, um, you know, seven hundred bucks a week. Uh, I think that's going to get harder and harder, right? Because every time an investor sells, right now, they're not selling it to another investor. People are buying three million dollar homes in the east as investment properties. Like it just, yeah. you know, it's very rare for that to be the case. So, if anything, you're going to see, um, you know, it's harder. Fewer, fewer houses for rent, right? Um, and so, are you paying fourteen hundred or seven hundred bucks a week? But don't expect more choice next year, um, because you know if your landlord's struggling right now, they're more likely to sell the house you're living in versus selling their own house. Um, particularly as price growth continues um, 
Yeah. You'd be more familiar with it now, but when we lived in the east, the, the, the properties, the houses that we knew around the place that were were rented were expats that had gone off to work in Singapore or whatnot or Dubai or wherever. So that's why they were rented. Uh, it was only a matter of time before they decided to come home again. There's a lot of wealth in like these older families um, who have, you know, bought up rows of terraces and houses and, you know, have had them since the 80s and 90s. But, you know, at some point that, you know, that if they, they might go, look, you know, it's, I need that money and I cash in and I can give it to my kids and they can get them onto the ladder, et cetera, like that. So I would say that, yeah, that there's an incentive to do that, particularly if they've got home debt, right? Like if you pay off your investment property now and that means you get $2 million in your bank, that means I'd have to pay 6% on my home. Yeah, it's more incentive to sell when interest rates are high as well. Um, if you've It'd got home great debt, to have a grandparent in their 90s living in Bronte or Tamarama right now, wouldn't it? <laughs> I so lucked out. <laughs> <laughs> Depends uh, what hospital you're born at, I guess, Ken. That's the thing, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely not fair <laughs> Not a lot of intergenerational <laughs> wealth coming from... from <laughs> My heritage, I'm sorry Just to say. lucky that you and I are Gen X and we're yeah. able to make it ourselves. Now, <laughs> what do you think will be the biggest topics for 2024 then, Ken? Oh, okay. So I would, I'm going to argue that the single biggest topic for me is going to be what's happening with the New South Wales Men's Government uh, focusing on all of the uh, rezoning, specifically around these rail stations. Yep. Uh, my take on what will happen is uh, it will create a number of, you know, it'll be 30 or more Docklands. Um, so if you look at the, the uh. couple of differences between Docklands, Docklands went through some doldrums in terms of the rental market. I don't see that these markets will go through the doldrums in the rental space because the rental market's so dire. However, uh, if we look at a 10-year period, I think prices went up by $20,000 or less, the median price for Melbourne yep. City over a 10-year period. Um, so I believe that's going to be really the, the blueprint for these particular suburbs moving in. You know, over the next 10 years, we're going to be faced with such a significant level of supply that it will challenge investors who get caught up uh, and don't look at all of their options. If they, if they're going to spend seven hundred thousand dollars, which is kind of what these new units are probably cost seven or eight nine hundred thousand, um, they're not going to be cheap. And I think you're still going to be faced with the property being worth seven or eight hundred thousand dollars in ten years from now. I think that's the, what will likely play out. I, yes, you'll get reasonable cash flow. But the question would be for me is would I target those 30-odd stations because I know exactly what's going on and I know where they're getting rezoned or would I take my money and place it somewhere else, which actually works better anyway because I, if I'm going to pump in money capital into a market that is in more in need, uh, I could probably place my money in some regional city or some other suburb. I think this is the irony of the... Yimby movement. I would say I'm a Yimby as well, but we had the Melissa neighbor on. I'm not sure if the episode's gone live yet, but you know, um, fighting for more density and fighting for more property and more supply is great at a macro level, but that doesn't mean it's great at an individual level. And I think what you're saying there is that 
these suburbs where they do increase densification. I don't know whether the developers can make money on them at seven, 800,000 under current building costs and labor shortages of materials. I don't know, even if you rezone it, they're going to actually go and build it. Um, because I just, you know, I think, and maybe unless it's in the more affluent areas, um, and then I think the the price point is going to be much higher to, for them to make because it's you're more likely a for the borrower to be able to get money, um, and you know like you said investors aren't going there. I think investors are switched on, right? Um, yeah, it's the issues with how long is it going to take to settle? Am I going to be working when it settles? You know, can I borrow the money? Why don't I just go and buy a positive cash flow property in in Perth? I'm not to say that's what investors should do. The opposite. Um, but um, that's what I think the issue is. You're going to be targeting first time buyers or downsizers. Um, and downsizers typically don't want to live in those areas that they've rezoned. Yes, there might be a little bit of that from the houses, but you know they they don't they're not forced to downsize from those houses into these apartments. So I don't I don't see this zoning thing leading to this mass building unless you know cost of building decreases, um, whether labour in, decreases in cost and whether material decreases in cost, or the government sticks their hand in their pocket and lowers taxes. Um, you know, like they're doing in the build to rent sector, um, unless it's in the more affluent end of the market. I think in a little way, I, I suspect it's slightly naive to just think that the minute some whole area is rezoned, that's going to suddenly lead to a mass of new development. Now, obviously in some areas, yes, that may well happen, but as Chris is alluding to there, there's, there's so many other issues at play, right? And so you've got to get the appropriate sites. Now, I've looked at the map, um, and a lot of it's in the inner west, which is where not only, in fact, the big one of the biggest areas is a 1,200-metre uh, radius around America. where my office, I think, is in that red zone, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good luck. And it, and it makes me sort of laugh because, as you know, it's saying that the land will be rezoned directly by the government, the state government, to allow for new, more new and affordable homes. Well, that is Balmain is a very expensive suburb. Land is expensive in Balmain, Roselle, Lilyfield, which is, you know, in that big zone. Um, what do they think? They're going to come in and, and knock down, you know, homes that people have bought, paid a lot of money for or could sell for a lot of money to individuals um, who want to live in those areas, potentially renovated them and added a huge amount of value to those homes. So they think they're going to be able to buy at market rates all these homes and be able to knock them down in a, in a street and build high density. I just don't think it's feasible. Now, there are a number of sites that you think would be low-hanging fruit, you know, industrial areas that have been rezoned residential or, or that they're waiting on being rezoned residential. And there's certainly some sites there that you could see that, that yes, some, some significant development could happen. Um, I think it's good that it it shows the government's commitment to the metro line. I mean, that's another form of transport, and certainly that's giving another uh, a good mode of public transport to areas that are not necessarily uh, like you know five dock for argument's sake. You've only got buses coming from five dock, and there's that's not even on the map here as being incre- increases either around the you know the the five dock area. But I think people who currently own there, you know, would have have got into a bit of mild panic around it let's face it some of these areas um and i encourage a bit of calm because i think that these things take a long time to to play out um and also i think we have to be really mindful of exactly where that new development could be concentrated and and the idea about providing affordable housing well let's face it by the sheer value of land in those areas and the demand for people who are prepared to pay higher prices Unless the government stipulates 
a proportion is going to be for affordable housing and obviously tip some money in the bucket for it, um, it's not going to be affordable housing, you know. And the fact is that a lot of people, conf- they confuse affordable with social housing and they don't recognise, they maybe they're not even aware that teachers, ambos, nurses, cleaners, hell, even our baristas, you know, might not be able to afford to live within a reasonable commute. Um, but, you know, I think it, it it's quite naive of the government to think that if you're just going to rezone these areas, that that automatically will just have a knock-on effect of making housing more affordable. All it would do you know, as long as it's well, de- I just hope that we have some good design, you know, and good urban planning around this, um, and there can be good outcomes. And there are set, there are some stipulations for affordable housing, and it's supported by policy and also by by all the the um, the planning around that. So, well, but, you know, I, I'm not too sure what else I would have done different to to what the Minsk government's doing here. Yeah, I, I I look at the policies that are coming out. I say. Yep, I do that. Yep, I do that. Because what options do you have? So, so I, I've got to say, I don't want to be a hypocrite here. I agree with what what's coming out of the Minsk government on every front. It's been, I think, it's been solid. I don't. I think it's showing that they're taking it very, very, re- you know, seriously, and they're actually going right. We, we're going to, you know, put the infrastructure in place. We're going to basically con- concentrate uh, new housing around that infrastructure. I think that's really smart, right? But it, it's still a little bit naive to think that you plonk it in the most expensive part of the inner west and think that that's going to somehow magically translate into affordable housing. Yeah. yeah, I think as long as it's on that metro line, that's great. Yeah. I think they're going to get a little bit smart. They're going to say, well, hang on a sec. If I buy in this zone, I'm going to prescribe myself to a high-rise pocket. And do I really want to be the first? Do I want to be living in a building site for the next five years? Um, Or do I buy a little bit further away or in a pocket that isn't going to build a lot more and still get all the lifestyle benefits? When we talk about Southwest of all those unit markets, why not buy in that trailer, you know, Um, and still get to the city, but then not have the issues with density and, you know, and that. And so I think, yeah, you still need buyers for this, and uh, whether it's first-time buyers or investors, I don't know whether they're going to go and buy this stuff because they've seen how it doesn't work. You know, um, they're getting more and more educated; they're getting savvier than they have in the past. There's always um, a new generation coming through, though, Chris, yeah, who haven't been burnt by previous, you know, or, previous yeah, failures. If you're a first-time buyer, <laughs> you don't have too many choices. But one thing I will say is that the profile of the city in Newcastle has changed dramatically as a result of the high-rise that's going in. Yeah, you know, it was lifeless, and now it's got life. So, uh, to your point, yeah. then, Chris, uh, you know, it, it, uh, where these places go, it creates a real vibe. I mean, even Mascot. I went into Mascot. I thought, oh, this 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 feels like Singapore. It was it was quite lovely. Mm-hmm. But I would say in Newcastle, though, the stuff that's gone up, the houses on the hill, houses in Merriweather, houses in the Junction. Yeah. Houses, um, Adamstown, houses Hamilton. in Maryville, Hamilton, apartments in Newcastle comparatively versus those houses, be chalk and cheese in terms of their growth. So, yeah, absolutely. Density is good for livability. It's not great for the people buying the density. Um, and yeah. I think so you kind of, you want you know, to be close enough to access. It also has to be well-designed density. Like, you know, if you go out there, um, Canterbury, for argument's sake, there's some pretty horrible or even Rockdale, places like that, you know, like you look around at some of the density for the, without the planning, 
you know. So I think that 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 is something that makes a huge difference. And if you've got that overlaying it, then fantastic. It can bring uh, amenity to an area. But like Chris, what you know, you're saying it's you've got to be careful what you're buying into. So I think yeah, if you yeah, uh, what's the good question, for society, what's good for you? This is what I think will dominate next year. Yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I, I agree with you. So let's watch this space. We shall continue to have conversations and, and see what's happening. Well, I mean, I think the other thing that's just dominating the news today is that, you know, the US of expectations are on rates completely shifted, right? Now, hey, nine in 10 economists think there's going to be a rate cut by Christmas. And, um, you know, most are actually pricing rate cuts from March next year now. So, you know, how that shifted and then how if rate cuts start coming, that completely changes buyer sentiment and, you know, confidence and, you know, on very low listings, right? So you look to those literature levels. So what happens if we get demand spike at a time when there's still very low listings? And I think that could be the surprise when still negative forecast next year. And now all of a sudden the conversations, rate cuts are coming and they're coming, you know, That's quite the first I've heard of it. So year. that's... That's amazing. That is because yeah. that's that's what's going to drive everything. Yeah. yeah. So that could be a big thing that by January, February, when the market starts coming back, um, yeah, the, the demand could be completely different with a new level of anxiety than we saw um, this second half of the ship. Well, Ken, happy new year. Thank you very much for sharing your analysis and your data with us and uh, we look forward to lots of uh, interesting chats with you as this year unfolds watch Merry this Christmas. space if you have a question that you'd like us to answer in an upcoming Q&A episode you can send us a voicemail or written question via the website theelephantintheroom.com.au or you can email us directly at questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars would be great. I know that sounds a bit cringy, but we have it on good authority that every review helps make it easier for other people to find out about us and hear what our amazing guests have to say.